welcome back, college kiddos, to our James saga as we continue through James chapter 4. Fun fact, we'll be finishing up James 4 this morning, and then we're into James 5. And after that, we've only got two weeks left, really, of our James series. So you guys will have gone through the entire book of James uh, in one school year, uh, a worthy accomplishment. So give yourselves a little pat on the back and let's get into it. We're in James chapter four. Like I said, we're going to finish out the chapter this morning. James chapter four, 11 through 17. And we'll, we'll go ahead and read through it right here and then we'll jump in. James chapter four, 11 through 17. And it goes like this. I'm reading from the NASB. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, we'll come back to that, speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So last week we talked in the first half of James 4 about how the cure for our lives is worship. Not a self-esteem boost, not self-help, but God's help. And that starts with humility. It starts with becoming humble. Laying our lives down and worshiping Jesus is like taking yourself out of the center of the universe. The chaos that would ensue, and we talked about this last week a little bit, the chaos that would ensue if we swapped the sun with the earth as the center of the galaxy is nothing compared to the chaos in your life when you take Jesus out of the middle and put yourself there instead. Worship, right? It's a big church word. Worship is not just singing or listening to preaching. Those are certainly part of it, but it's not just that. Worship is recognizing that Jesus is and should be the center of your universe. The galaxy isn't designed to rotate and move based on what the earth is doing. It's the sun that everything gets its cues from. And in the same way, your world is not designed to function properly with you in the middle of it. Now notice I didn't just say, don't do that because it's bad. Your world is not designed. Why is it bad though? Your world is not designed to work with you in the middle. So we ended our time last week with verse 10, humble yourselves before God. Let the sun be first, right? At the center of your galaxy. That is the proper order. And one of the quickest ways we immediately get that order wrong is in verses 11 and 12. So look with me again at James 4, verses 11 through 12. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But who are you when you judge your neighbor? 
putting the sun back in order and all that and the galaxy, okay, cool, that's great, Ryan, but give me something practical to do. Well, James aims to please. He immediately gives you a way that we fail to do this, that we fail to keep God at the center of our galaxy. He immediately gives us a way that we fail. We fail to elevate God when we elevate ourselves instead by criticizing other people. We fail to elevate God, which is worship, right? We fail to elevate God when we elevate ourselves instead by criticizing other people. Look at James 4.11 again. It says, do not speak against one another, brethren. Do not speak against one another. Different versions here will say different things. Do not slander. Do not speak against. Do not speak evil against. And this is kind of the key to the whole thing. It means to speak down, to speak down against your brother. It's not about, so, so you see, it's, it's not about what you're saying. It's what you do when you say it, okay? It's, and that's going to help you for a lot of this in James. It's not about what you're saying. It's what you do when you say it. Telling the truth or lying when it comes to someone else. To speak down to a brother or sister, to lower them. These things could be true, the things that you're saying. See, this isn't about gossip. It's about the heart of gossip. So-and-so got pregnant out of wedlock. So-and-so has put on a lot of weight in the last month. So-and-so lost their job. These things may be true. So what's the difference between stating facts and making those facts gossip? Speaking them down is the difference. Speaking down about those things is the difference. Not speaking the facts, but saying them in a way that lowers the person they're about while elevating yourself. Speaking the truth is good, and we need to speak it. We need more of that, if anything. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, right? Speak the truth in love. But how do we do that? How do we speak the truth in love? What does that mean? James gives us some insight into what Paul says right here. 4.11 again. And, and listen to the common theme. James 4.11. Do not speak against one another, brothers. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law. One of the keys to speaking the truth in love is speaking it as an equal understanding that you are on equal footing with the person you're talking to or about. That's why James uses this word brother over and over again. As you elevate yourself, that's what you're doing. James is trying to remind you, you've forgotten the fact that you're both brothers in this, sisters in this. One of the keys to speaking the truth in love is speaking it as an equal. You can't elevate yourself above them if you remember that you're equal to them. Well, I'm certainly not like that person, Ryan. We are certainly not equal. Well, you may be different than them in life, but I don't think either of you would want the darkest sins of your life put on a theater screen for everyone to see. The sins may be different, but I bet you the shame and embarrassment would sting just the same. You and this other person that you seem to think so little of. And God has been merciful towards you in that maybe he hasn't allowed the consequences of your sin to pound you into the ground the way he has with this other person. But if not for the hand of God, 
If not for the grace of Jesus, who knows how deep in the gutter you would have sunk by now. And rather than offer mercy to this other person, you mock them. You speak against them. You speak down about them. This person whose life would be yours if not for the grace of God. If not for the grace of God, their life would be yours. You raise, them, you raise yourself above them. I'm not in the gutter with them. Well, Jesus is. Have you read the New Testament? When you elevate yourself above the people in the gutter, you are leaving the God who enters into the gutter to help them. And while he's working in their life to help them, where are you? Where am I? Have we become like those Pharisees that we make fun of so often in Scripture? We are much closer to them than we think. John Newton, the pastor from the 1700s, said this, and I think this is so important for us to apply it to our lives as believers, whether we work at a church, whether we're brand new, whatever it looks like. John Newton said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. And I am not what I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not who I used to be. By the grace of God, I am not who I used to be. When we remember ourselves in that light, we will stop putting ourselves above others and above the law, verse 12, and start obeying the law's call to love one another and speak the truth to each other in love, remembering that we are equals. James keeps calling them brothers. These are slaves, freedmen, Jews, men, women. How can, we call, how can they call each other all brothers? What makes them all equal? They were made in the image of God, and God saw fit to help them. How dare we not? Because that's part of James's point in verse 12, is you, you think these people are so terrible because they've broken the law, but when you judge them like this, when you slander them like this, you are also breaking the law. And at least they're aware of what they're doing. Your situation is arguably worse. If God saw fit to help them, and He sees fit to help you, even when you don't realize you need help, how dare we ignore those who need us and speak down about them? How dare we elevate ourselves above God and speak down rather than coming down to help? Next section, James 4, 13 through 17. James 4, 13 through 17 says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. James continues showing us here. So the theme is kind of pride and humility. James continues showing us here that pride not only distorts how we see others, verses 11 and 12, 
But now James shows us in the rest of this chapter that the sin of pride distorts not only how we see others, but how we see ourselves. Now let me say this real quick, especially to my more free-spirited listeners. This is not a text against making plans in general. This is not a text against being organized and, and making plans. So all the type A's need to relax, okay? It's good to be wise. In fact, it's biblical. Proverbs 6 tells us to be like the ant. The ant stores up its provisions in summer to get ready for winter. That, that's, a, that's an old school biblical way of saying, that's, what is that? That's long-term planning, right? That's a savings account. That's wisdom, That's scheduling, that's thinking ahead. And Proverbs 6 says, be like that. Too many Christians, I think, are not like that because they're, quote, relying on the Spirit. Well, you don't seem to be trusting what the Spirit said in Proverbs. There's nothing wrong with having a calendar. Shout out to Bob Egan. There's nothing wrong with focusing on college and job hunting early. That's fine. I think someone as practically minded as James would applaud that. But here's what he doesn't applaud. In the same vein as verses 11 and 12, this isn't specifically about what we do, but how we're doing it. And keep that in mind, because that'll help you as we dig into this next section. A, A big help for this section is that it's not so much about actions as it is about attitude, if that makes sense. Not so much about actions as it is about attitude. Let's look at it one more time, and then we'll jump in 13 through 14 of James chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We're going to spend a lot of time in verse 13, but we start to get a flavor for what James is saying here, for, for why he's angry about this. Now, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong, like we said, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with planning to go somewhere, planning to make a profit there, and planning how long you're going to stay, verse 13. But in verse 14, James hits very hard, right? He's he's almost abrasive, reminding them of things they do not know or that they have forgotten. The first thing it says in verse 14 is, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. which seems to imply that they are arrogantly acting as if they do know what their life will be like tomorrow. At least they think they know. He says, you are a vapor that is here for a little while and then vanishes. That, That seems to imply, again, what's the opposite? Why is James pushing so hard on this? Well, it seems to imply that they think much more highly of their own lives than they should. And they need to be reminded They have made ideas about themselves in their head, and they need to be brought back down to reality. And we start to see this a little bit. Take a closer look again, right, in James 4.13. James 4.13 says, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Look at all these plans that they've made, and what has determined their plan? Well, they said so. Come now, you who say, let us do these things. It is the assumption that we are masters of our own life, so much so that all we need to do is decide that it will happen. And behold, it will happen. 
I have spoken. Let it be written. I have put this into my calendar app, so it shall be. I want you to think about this phrase for a second. No, no, this event can't be canceled. I already bought airline tickets. The event can't be canceled because I have already bought airline tickets. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with buying airline tickets. There's nothing wrong with buying them early so that they're cheaper. But assuming that the event cannot be canceled because you have bought tickets, that's the problem. And we say stuff like this all the time. This is the air we breathe in America. We live in this world where if we have decided, then that is the deciding factor. One of the 10,000 ways God is working in this stressful pandemic is in reminding us that we are not in the driver's seat. James is clear on this. Your plans don't happen because you say so. Because you bought tickets early, because you packed everything you needed. They happen because God allows them to. And again, making plans is not the issue, but for all of us, we have taken the thread of our plans and made it the very fabric of our lives. And it was never meant to be that. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way. There's making the plans, right? There's your five-year plan. The, the heart of man plans his way, comma, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of man makes the plans, right? But it's the Lord who determines what takes place. Psalm 136, 19, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. And in your book were written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. God was calendaring long before it was cool. God, I've got this plan. I've got this, I've got this idea. And, and, and it's okay to have that. It's okay to bring that to God. But you need to understand that God will say back, that's great. I have a plan too for your life. And what I have planned is better and will happen. And that's the key here. As you calendar, as you plan, as you forecast, as you dream, we need to be sure that we are lining these things up with what God has planned for us, that we are training our hearts to be willing to submit those things to Him. I think we need to remember that the Lord's prayer doesn't go, my calendar come and to-do list be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we say that, right? Oh, amen, that's great. But, but that's how we live. My calendar come and my to-do list be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you see James chapter 4, verse 13? Come now, you who say... Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Now you start to see how arrogant this is. A year? The person in James's example thinks the next year is set in place. Why? What basis do they have for believing that? Well, they said so. Come and let, us, let those of you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go spend a year there. And listen, they didn't have a calendaring app. They didn't have email. So it's not just young people doing this. 
All ages and all people groups have the same arrogant spirit of presuming that your plan is all that there is. That God couldn't possibly have mapped things out differently and better than you did. See, it's not, this isn't a sermon or, or, a, or a text against being type A or being responsible. It's against pride. That's the root of all this. And this section is especially relevant to today, right? The only reason you think the Bible is not relevant is because you aren't reading it. This is exactly what's happening in our world right now with COVID-19. I think it's fair to say that we are in the middle of one of the largest instances of plans being interrupted ever on a national scale. And how are we reacting? Are we, are we reacting like the people in verse 13? But Lord, I said, I said this was going to happen. I've already got the tickets. Or are we reacting the way James wants us to understand? 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And then again in verse 13, right? Today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and... Engage in business and make a profit. One of the other things here is it's all business. There's no worship. It's not just about planning without God. So, so here, here's kind of James's point. Planning without God inevitably leads to living without God. Too often, I, one commentary said, too often men and women leave God at church. As if we could take him and leave him wherever we want. You know what gods were like that in the Old Testament? The idols. Little wooden figures and dolls that you could pack up wherever you went. If your God does not impact your home life and your work life, then he's not the God of the Bible. God is everywhere. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's. All of it. This is a big God. And just like in verses 11 through 12, we are putting ourselves in his place. Putting all our hopes and assumptions in our five-year plan, forgetting that we don't know what will happen 10 minutes from now. And again, five-year plans are okay, but I can't tell you how many kids I meet who have graduated college and their plans did not work out. And they have no idea what to do. And I kept thinking about them while I went through this verse, and, and, and it reminded me again, you will find peace in God when your plans fail. And they will fail. Again, that's not something you see the college kids put on Instagram. Your plans will fail, James chapter 5. But I, but I want you to be realistic, right? And that's what James wants. Ask any adult. Ask your parents. I, I would almost wager any adult. Ask your parents. Are you now where you thought you would be when you were 20? Are you right now where you thought you would be when you were 20? I could pretty much guarantee you that most of them will say, I had no idea I would end up where I am. James did, and that's what he's talking about. Our country, your American dream, is built on the five-year plan. We hear one mapped out and we say, oh, that's a successful person. And maybe so. But someone who builds their life around that plan is also in great danger of becoming not only successful but idolatrous, according to James. 
It's okay to plan for the future. But how can you best plan for the future? Start obeying God in the present. How can you best plan for the future, right? Get the calendar app, get everything you want. But how can you best plan for the future? Start obeying God in the present. Where will you go when your life does not turn out the way you thought it would? And not just your epic big future. What about your day? What heart attitude should you cultivate for when just one day gets blown up? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Here's what that means according to one commentary. Amid all human frailty, human shifting, human changing, there is one thing that endures, God's word. The plan withers, the savings account fades, but the word of God stands forever. Too often, we want the cheap joy of our plans being accomplished instead of the deep joy that can come when God interrupts our plans. Too often we want the cheap the cheap high that comes from our plant from checking that box instead of the deep joy that can come when God interrupts that process. Begin to cling to him and his word more than your plans now and it will serve you tenfold in the future. This is why James says in verse 16 that we are boasting in evil. It's not our plan making that's the enemy here. Deep down, it's boasting. You're doing it without God because you don't think you need God. We worship our plans not because they're plans, but because we made them. How dare you change these, God? We already said this is what we wanted to happen. We plan so often without God that we begin to live without Him. Even working in a church, I had to ask myself through this, through this text, is my life built around God or around me? Is it planned around the next vacation, the next piece of clothing, the next workout, the next weekend, the next movie? What is your life, what are you building your life around Again, what's at the center, right? What do the weeks and plans of your life point to? James's real question here is, what is your life really about? What do you boast in? Is it Jesus or something that will fade away before your next breath? It's interesting how in verse 13 he says, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, etc., etc. Then in verse 15 he says, Instead you ought to say, against James, James is keeping that theme of the tongue, right? A change of, of tongue, a change of heart is what's needed. Instead of being people who write, out of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the heart the mouth says, today or tomorrow we'll go and do such and such. James says, no, 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 you need a new heart that says, that says, if the Lord wills, we will do so and so. A new heart 
that is much more comfortable on God's calendar than our own. James 4.17, last one. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now we have been told, James has kind of shaken us awake, which is something that he does throughout the entire book. Now by God's grace, we've been told, remember God. Put your plans under His plan. We put Him at the center. And if we cannot do that, we must ask Him for help. Help me to sleep when I'm supposed to sleep and not spend my nights endlessly surfing the internet for emptiness. Help me to start thinking about my money rather than quickly letting it fly towards the next thing that I'll forget about weeks later. Help me to put you at the center before my job and its demands, before the person I'm dating, before my plans about the future. You be at the center, God. And the peace that will come when you do that will pay itself back tenfold. Let's pray.